parenthood is not a place where you are walled off from intimacy with Jesus and the change that he offers, but it is actually the place that you can be opened up to it. It, it is probably the most spiritual thing that you are doing right now. It's probably the most sanctifying thing that you're doing right now. It's probably the hardest thing that you're doing right now because of those two things. And that is the beauty of it. God wants not just to change, use you to change your kids. He wants to use your kids to change you. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Filter. On this show, we recognize that the world can be a confusing place to live in. And so what I seek to do is to equip you to live with biblical clarity in our chaotic world so that you can face the chaos and confusion of life with wisdom, integrity, and courage. Most of us struggle to keep up with the hustle and bustle of life, especially those who have kids. If you're the parent of small children like me, you know how often it feels as though we are just trying to survive until bedtime. My guest on today's show says that it's possible for us to overcome some of that overwhelm while also better discipling our children. He argues that the secret is in the habits that our family is built around. His name is Justin Whitmill Early, and we had an excellent discussion about his new book, Habits of the Household. We discussed how the habits that we have in our household forms our family spiritually and how you can practically build new habits around the different keystone times in your family's life to, in order to better worship God and raise up your children. Times such as how we use screen time, how we discipline, what we do at bedtime, what we do at mealtimes, and so on. Justin Whitmill Early is a writer, speaker, lawyer, and the founder of The Common Rule, an online resource center for Christians seeking kingdom-formed habits that can sustain them in an age of chaos. This project and its best-selling, award-winning book by the same name arose out of Justin's personal breakdown in the middle of becoming a father and a lawyer. Ultimately, his life and sanity were saved when he embraced a reformation of habits. Today, as a husband and father of four boys and a sought-after speaker at churches and conferences, Justin continues his mission of empowering God's people to thrive through life-giving habits that give meaning to our days. He and his family live in Richmond, Virginia, and you can follow him online at www.justinwhitmillearly.com. Before we get into today's episode, I'm excited to remind you that we are currently running a book giveaway contest here at Filter. We have a stack of 11 books uh, totaling in, in over $225 in value, featuring many different amazing guests that we've had here on Filter that you can enter for a chance to win. It features books such as Oz Guinness's The Magna Carta of Humanity, Christian Apologetics by Douglas Grotheis, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth by uh, Thaddeus Williams, and also the book in this episode, Habits of the Household by Justin Whitmill Early. You can win all these books and more by clicking on the link in the description of this video on YouTube or whatever uh, podcast platform you're listening, and enter for your chance to win all of these amazing resources that I just mentioned, and even more. You can enter by uh, any number of different ways, and you can also earn multiple entries. In fact, after you've done everything that you can to earn all the entries you can get, you can get even more entries by referring other people who then join the contest as well to increase your chances to win. This contest is running from now to November 22nd, and so I would highly encourage you to get in, get your entries, and to share with friends so that you can have a chance to win this amazing stack of books that we are giving away to build up your library. One last thing before we get into the discussion, if you have not yet already, make sure that you subscribe to the show on YouTube or or on whatever podcast platform you're listening so that you don't miss out on any future episodes with amazing guests like today's guest. 
Also, while you're there, if you would leave us a rating and review wherever you listen or watch, it really helps us out so that other people can discover this message of biblical clarity in our confusing world. Well, without any further delay, let's jump into this conversation that I got to have with Justin Whitmill early. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Aaron. I'm so glad you invited me. Well, I'm so glad you accepted the invitation. I've been looking forward to it. I was telling you before we got started that uh, I had read The Common Rule whenever it first came out, your first book, read it with a group of guys, and we all loved it. We're impacted one way or another. So whenever I saw that you were coming out with another book, I was immediately interested and started looking into it and knew, okay, this looks excellent, and I'd love to get to talk to you about it. So happy we're able to do this. Uh, As we start talking about the book, uh, tell us how... Uh, you came to where you are today being a writer, but a writer is a side hustle. Uh, we all we already yes. talked about it. Uh, the audience already heard in the bio uh, that you're you're a lawyer. So tell us how you came to where you are today, uh, being a lawyer, uh, but then writing books on the side. And uh, and then especially writing these books with some very similar themes. Yeah. So I actually began my career post-college as a missionary in China. And I probably would have stayed and done that for a long time. I was in China for almost five years. But I had this calling experience that I write about a little bit in The Common Rule, um, where I actually felt called to leave China and come back to the States and work missionally in the field of law and business. And uh, that's probably a loaded statement for a lot of people. (laughs) So there could be a whole other podcast on what it means to be called to work missionally in a line of business like law. But (laughs) suffice it to say, I really did feel like a man on a call and that meant that I dove into lawyering, you know, uh, headfirst. And that went well in a lot of respects. I I graduated around the top of my class at a really good law school, got my dream job in mergers and acquisitions uh, here in Richmond, working at a firm called McGuire Woods. Um, But what I didn't realize in that transition from the mission field to working missionally in lawyering was that law school was almost as much as a foreign country as China was, as in it had its its customs and its patterns. And I wasn't aware of all that. So I think I started assimilating to the, the norms of you know, top tier law school and then a top tier law firm. And I had this awful anxiety crash in my first year of lawyering where the bottom really fell out of my life. And I tell that story in depth in the in the common rule. But the short version is that I went from, you know, a healthy, happy, missionary who felt called the law to a nervous medicating lawyer who was either drinking alcohol or taking pills to go to sleep every night. Um, and it was in this long, dark year that I, I had to wrestle with this question of how the missionary became converted in, in such short or- order and took me a long, hard year to figure this out, even more actually to really figure it out. Um, so this is a simple and condensed version of the story. But what I came to realize through the help of friends and my wife and others was that I had been converted by habit. I was thinking all the right things in my head, but my normal patterns of life were assimilated to these wild patterns of American lawyering and really America in general. And that's when I became really interested in how habits affect us spiritually. And as I started to take that seriously, I am a writer by nature. I, I always write about what I'm learning about. And so as I was really taking that seriously, I started to write about the habits that were changing my spiritual life and my emotional life and bringing me out of this terrible anxiety. And those habits became the common rule. Excellent. 
Yeah. And so going right along with that theme, this book is also obviously just by the title, Habits of the Household, still working along that same theme of mm-hmm. looking at the habits of our life. But this time you're you're expanding out from the individual to a household. So we're talking about parents and children and, and, and those habits. So talk to us about the importance of, of habits in the household. Uh, yeah. Do, do habits form uh, our marriages and children and families in the same way that they have uh, an effect in forming us as individuals? Uh, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Hence, hence this book. So it's kind of funny because I was doing all this work in the common rule about how habits form us spiritually. And I was really looking a lot at um, habits of work, habits of technology, habits of busyness and rest. And as I'm writing this, I think it was the year that it came out. Um, I had this evening and you're going to start to notice a theme here. My books are born out of moments of crisis. (laughs) I had this evening at home where I'm putting my boys to bed and bedtime at our house. uh, We had three boys at the time Now we now have four. So Bedtime at our house is basically what you would expect with three or four mm-hmm. boys. It's, yeah. you know, there's bath water on the floor. There are naked escapees of the bath fleeing <laughs> the hallways. There's fights over the toothbrushes. There's board books used as weapons. Um, it's really fun, but it's really wild. Yeah. It's really wild. And um, I become in those moments sort of like an impotent general. I, I start to, I get frustrated. I want to get to bedtime. I start shouting commands. And uh, nobody's listening to me. It just makes everybody anxious. And I remember this one night where I transitioned from, you know, shouting and yelling at the boys to get in bed to then, you know, giving them each a good night kiss and saying a short prayer for them. And I was like, this is a really weird mood change. Like, I want to pray for my kids in the evening, but I wonder what they think love means when I when I tell them, like, you know, I'm threatening bodily harm if they don't get in bed. Then I'm like, okay, I love you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've done and, the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah. This is sit down so we can pray. And this is exactly, okay. So like you just said, this is normal, right? This is yeah. not unusual for parents and it wasn't unusual for me. And as I closed the door that night, that's exactly what my realization was. I was like, this is my normal oscillating mm. between yelling and then praying for my kids is a normal activity in my house. Why is it that this is the norm and not something else? Um, Mm. And I was talking with a pastor about this, and and he recommended uh, uh, this bedtime liturgy that he does with his sons. And so I was like, all right, I I could use any sort of help that I can get. So I, I, I wrote my own bedtime liturgy in the weeks following. And it it goes something like this. I'll, I'll just say it for you. So I asked my boys, can you see my eyes? And they say yes. And then I say, can you see that I see your eyes? And they say yes. And then, you know, there's sort of this moment where okay, we're focusing on each other. And then I say, do you know that I love you? And they say yes. And then I say, do you know that I love you no matter what bad things you do? And they say yes. I say, do you know what I love you no matter what good things you do? Yes. And who else loves you like that? God does. And you can imagine how this goes, you know, the first night. Uh, not Not well. They think the eye contact thing is weird. They take it as a reason to poke my eyes. Doing, yeah. <laughs> I forget what I was going to say. They, you know, they, they don't know how to answer. But important note here, nothing is a habit until it is, right? Nothing is a normal routine in, until it is. And every mm-hmm. routine that you have in your household, you had to work for it. Maybe unconsciously, maybe consciously, but you have, you have to earn that rut, right? So 
I persevere as a uh, good parents ought to do. And a couple days, maybe a week later, there was this neat moment where my boy, one of them asked me, Hey, can we have our bedtime blessing now? And I would, and I never remember that. I'll never forget that night either. Cause these nights stand next to each other as they're both mostly the same where, you know, bedtime is chaotic. There's still bath water on the floor, but one of the evenings was punctuated by this bedtime liturgy where we exchanged this moment of talking about the unconditional love of God. And I remember that that evening, that habit of getting that in place sort of drew me through all the mess. Cause you know, knowing I'm going to have this exchange with them changed the way that I acted when I got there. And that was when this kind of clicked for me. Cause I had, I'd been writing about how habits change us personally and change our work schedules and all this stuff. And that was the moment where I realized these liturgies are happening in the house too. And I wonder what sort of keystone habits I could lay down like a bedtime liturgy. And there's many other things, but like that one small moment that would start to change the rhythms of how we get there. And that, and, and I'll end here, that, that was the, the watershed moment for me. When I, when I saw that, I saw that the power of a good parenting habit is not that it makes, you know, raising kids easy. It never is. It's really hard, but it, it, it starts to change your family patterns such to, in a way that it sort of lets grace into these liturgies of the household and changes the way that you respond to each other and your kids. And that's what we're looking for in good parenting habits. Those moments that change how everything else happens around it. And then I just, from there, I was like, well, why don't I do this on purpose? Why don't I think about mealtimes and bedtimes and waking times and moments of discipline? And that, that's the chapters of these books, these normal yeah. moments of the day. Yeah. And I, I want to get into some of those more specific uh, chapters and, and topics. Let's keep talking just a little bit more about habit formation. Um, mm -hmm. It seems as though from listening to, to the, the, the story of your bedtime liturgy, that there's a connection between uh, the habit that the parent follows and then that leading towards forming the, the child. Yes. Right? That, that, so there had to be this shift and change in you and in, and in your wife, I'm sure, that then led to changing in the children. What's the, what's the connection between habit formation between the parents and the children? The, yeah, the way I like to sum this up is we become our habits and our kids become us. So habits of the household matter. And to break that sentence down, start with we become our habits. This was our, my main claim in the common rule that, that I explained plenty in Habits of the Household, so you can read it there too. And it's the idea that habits are best understood as liturgies. You don't really get the spiritual significant of significance of habits until you understand that these day-to-day -day routines in our ordinary moments that we discount as ordinary, thinking they mm -hmm. don't matter, mm -hmm. actually matter the most precisely because of that reason. We don't notice them. So we're constantly being led in worship because all of life is worship. You know, God didn't make us to worship occasionally on Sundays and Wednesday nights at Bible studies and churches. Our life is worship. And so are our ordinary patterns. But sometimes they're liturgies to anxiety or busyness or consumerism or vanity. So those, they matter. And as the psalmist puts it, those who make and trust in idols, worship, will become like them, formation. So worship and formation have this tight connection. And if habits are worship, then habits change us. And mm -hmm. you can read sociologists on this too. Yeah. But, you know, who, who neurologists and sociologists will use the exact same words. I mean, the New York Times bestselling author, James Clear, who wrote sort of the premier book on habits called Atomic Habits, 
writes literally, you become your habits. So this is not a novel claim, but um, the ancient, the, the church fathers were onto this. <laughs> Jesus was onto this. Uh, the, the Bible has been onto this for a long time. So it's not new. So we become our habits and then our kids become us. And this is just sort of the, everybody who stops and thinks about parenting knows, especially as they get older, you have that, oh my gosh, moment where they're talking mm -hmm. to you and you hear yourself talking to yourself or you hear a version of yourself. So it's not rocket science that our kids are formed in our image. Sometimes it's against us, right? They like are trying desperately not to be like us because they don't want to be their parents or, or usually they're naturally becoming a version of what we are. So I don't feel like that one needs a lot of argument, but if you put those two together, you sort of realize that what is happening in the household is this amazing thing that the church calls formation. Yes, it matters what you teach your kids. Absolutely. And a lot of parenting is that, but more of parenting is not education. It's formation. It matters a lot less what you say in that one moment when they're in trouble or in that one moment when they won their baseball game and are getting a trophy. Those matter. But what matters a lot more is your normal. Like, what does it feel like to live with you? What does it feel like to live a day in the schedule of your family? And often that's where we get to, oh my gosh, we say things like, God loves you no matter what you do. But the way we respond to our kids in moments of discipline is, if you don't come under my control, you're going to suffer the consequences of my cold shoulders or my anger or my something else. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why in the chapter on discipline, it, we talk a lot about it matters how you act, you know, in these small moments. So yeah, that's the chain of formation. And that's the real thing I, I wanted to tackle in this book. A lot of parenting books are about education and that's great. I wanted to write a parenting book about how we form each other specifically through our unnoticed habits. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah. And I think that, like you said before, I think we, we put so much uh, stress upon like the big moments in life, showing up for the big moments and getting it right you know, in, in those things. And, and it is important that we do, we show up for the big moments and then we get it right in those times of either celebration, discipline, uh, for, yes. for certain issues in life. But, uh, but yeah, in the, in the everyday in the mundane and what you like, you, you explain the small moments, those matter so much mm -hmm. too, because mm -hmm. the big moments only happen once or twice, but those happen 10,000 times. Right. Right. And right. that's going to have an effect. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, um, I, you will never hear me say anything against those big moments. I mean, I can remember some of the major moments when my parents said something and everything just clicked, you know, mm -hmm. um, the moments are important. They really are. But I, I, I even, I just think they, um, the best way to think about this is how they dovetail together. The best way that I think the biblical view of human change is this almost DNA spiral of education and formation. Um, we train our minds and we train our bodies, uh, we, we train our hearts. We, we don't avoid any of these areas. And as a parent, we're thinking about that same thing, like what we teach our kids, what we say in the big moments. But we're also thinking about what do we do? What does it feel like in the little moments? And I think we, we're at our best when we're uniting those and not only doing one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you're getting at in talking about the being being mindful and then starting to be intentional about the habits we have in our house, household, understanding they're forming something. It's sounding like, okay, so we have an even bigger purpose as parents than I thought we did. Mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. often we, our, our purpose of parents starts to get clouded by just the changing diapers, making sure they're fed, making sure they're big yes. and all yes. that. And forget that we have, we have even bigger purposes than, than that. And so I'm thinking about other parents out there like you or like myself who are listening to this and, and maybe getting a little stressed 
thinking, oh goodness, now I have even more to do. Because I think so often we parents and and we both have young children, uh, are, it, it feels like you're just trying to get to the end of the day. It feels like mm-hmm. you're trying to get to bedtime without drowning, yes. right? Like you're yes. just like, please can we put them to bed? Please can we get in there? Yes. And so this, they might be starting to feel overwhelmed thinking, oh, here's just another thing that I have to do. But I think one of the things that you argue is that this is actually like forming these habits is something that can actually help uh, mm-hmm. the job of parenting. So what would you say to some of those parents who are already overwhelmed and maybe hearing this and thinking, is this going to add to my overwhelm? I would say that the hardest thing to do as a parent is to keep living the normal life that you have, because what is exhausting and what is tiring is not carefully choosing your habits and modeling after them after discipleship to Christ. What's exhausting is to continue the normal American pattern of life. Um, and And this is the claim in both of my books is that we already have a program of habits. Everyone does. You can't get rid of habits. And that's the problem. Most of our invisible default habits are leading us into these cycles of impatience or busyness or technology addictions um, or worse addictions. And just like Jesus says, you know, my my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is not theoretical advice. That That is a practical reality of when we conform our lives to patterns of spiritual worship of God instead of these other things. It is not uh, it's not a simple solution, but it is a real one. Like, like I'm not saying it's not easy to nothing is nothing important is easy. It might be hard to make that change, but mm-hmm. that yoke of Jesus is easier than the American yoke. And so I was just trying to encourage parents and anyone else who's thinking about habit change as spiritual formation that it is light to take on the the burden of Christ. And so I, I think of this as an opportunity to uh, not just parent better, but but parent more lovingly and to enjoy it because of all that. So I think it's a real, you know, it's a real invitation. And the second thing that came to my mind there, which I think is really exciting, is you mentioned, you know, a lot of us are, especially with young kids, my, my kids range in age from three to nine at the time of this podcast. You know, a lot of our life in these younger years, especially, is just constant survival tasks, you know, diaper changes, meals, uh, getting up in the middle of the night to help somebody. And we think like, oh my gosh, I'm just, I can't get my head above water to think about this really spiritually important stuff because I'm just stuck in these daily tasks. One of the uh, most, I don't know, brilliant and beautiful ideas that I came across as I was researching and reading this book came from a couple other writers, most of them Catholic who actually argued that common life in the family is so ferociously spiritual that it would make monastics jealous. As in like, we think we need to get away to this retreat, you know, and be like silent and in nature and quiet to really experience God. Mm -hmm. And um, some great spiritual writers who actually are monastics argue, I've done that for 30 years and my mom still seems to be more patient and connected to God than I am because she's parented for 30 years. <laughs> and and that, that idea really stuck with me. And I, I really started to dig into that and write about that. And so one of the claims you'll find in Habits of the Household 
is that this is a spiritual formation ground. These ordinary tasks are precisely the kinds of things that sanctify you into a more loving, a more patient, a more present person who is, surprise, surprise, more like Jesus because of all the diapers you've changed. And that to me is like so encouraging. That means that what we're doing matters, not because you line up all the diapers and you show the money on the Excel sheet. It's because changing these diapers makes you like Jesus. Like, yeah. you know, washing the, the babies makes you like him who washes feet. So there's these, there's this amazing realm of sanctification, which I think just means that the household is such a spiritual place. And that's really what I want people to see that in these yeah. mundane habits it are incredible spiritual opportunities for you as much as for your children. Yeah. You're absolutely right on, on that last point that you were getting at. I mean, you're, you're right on the other ones too, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but on the last one really resonated with me because so I was a pastor before and after I had kids. So, so I was a pastor mm-hmm. before then me and my wife had our first child. And I noticed after being a parent for a little while and especially going through the hard stages of having a newborn, the challenging stages of having a two-year-old girl and the terrible twos and then the terrible threes and everything after afterwards with a, <laughs> with a girl. Uh, you have you have all boys, so you you haven't experienced the emotions that come with daughters. I wouldn't know. Yeah, you have to teach me. I wouldn't know a single. My thing. goodness. <laughs> um, anyway, one, one thing that I noticed is that it made me a better pastor mm. because the, the patience and the 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 tenderness, the love that it took to deal with an emotion filled two year old. <laughs> Yes. And just a, just a disaster of a human. That's what all two-year-olds are. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, really helped me to deal with other disasters of humans. <laughs> right, right. Which we all right. are. Who, who are just better at hiding it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's what I say all the time. I say, I say they are exactly like us. We just hide it better. Oh, yes. It oh, is, yes. We, we're exactly the same. So many times I'll, one of our kids will be throwing a fit because they're just tired. And I look at him and I think, I feel the exact same way on the inside. But anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, how, how, parenting helped me to to love other people better, be tender with them whenever they're in the middle of a mess of their own yes. making, be yes. loving and compassionate. Um, under, uh, I think before, one of the things that I would often do would be, uh, because I'm a teacher by nature, and mm-hmm. so people would come to me with these, these issues often, and I would just immediately want to start teaching, giving them helpful mm-hmm. information. Uh, you know, I'm mm-hmm. also a coach. We're, you know, hard time about that. And so co- giving them co- some life coaching um, right. and, and people need that. Uh, but then one thing I noticed afterwards is I would switch my approach and I didn't do this consciously at first, but I would start with loving and start with, mm-hmm. with encouraging and, and, and thinking, mm-hmm. you know, what do they really need to hear from me right now? And yeah. then, then, then get to the teaching, get, then get to the coaching and all. Uh, and, and yeah, and that was because God gave me a child. And yes. you know, so he had, he had a, an even bigger spiritual direction that he had for me, uh, yes. other than just making sure my child survives. <laughs> so good. So good. One of my favorite analogies, uh, or metaphor, I guess I'm an English major. I should know. Uh, one of my favorite metaphors that my pastor uses so often is that, as suffering and hard time comes, you can imagine an, an egg dropped into boiling water or a carrot dropped into boiling water. Uh, some things dropped into water become hard and brittle like an egg. They, they boil, they get harder. Some things like a carrot get soft. And what a Christian is trying to do as they approach hard times and suffering 
like parenting, which by the way, if we want to talk about it, I do think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I do think there's some real, real suffering in it. So if a parent is listening and thinking, uh, you know, I don't find this fun. I find this hard. I would say, welcome to the club. This is the hardest thing I've ever done. And it really can be that boiling pot of water that is real suffering, um, especially if you have sickness or injury or illness in your family. But the question for us as we approach that difficult time of parenting is, is this going to make us harder, angrier, more brittle people? Or is it going to make us softer, more empathetic, more loving people? The second is sanctification. The, 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 the former is what happens when we leave God out of suffering. We become hard, angry, bitter people. And probably some of our the listeners here know that from their own childhood or their own parents where they see themselves becoming it. So it's not a mm-hmm. given that parenting makes you like Christ, but it's an enormous opportunity. That's what God wants to do with it. You know, that God is saying, yes, it's hard. Um, by the way, it is a great metaphor of God the Father here. It's hard to love, <laughs> but but the more we become like him and love like him, the more we become soft and loving. And that's, I just think this might be obvious to some people, but, but for me, this was a real light bulb that parenting was an opportunity to be sanctified through the suffering of it because it is hard. It's really mm. hard, but God yeah. is with us in it. And that makes all the difference. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're so right saying that, that it's not a given, but it can be, but it, it can be, it can be an yes. opportunity. Yeah, yes. not a given, but it can be yes. an opportunity. And, and, and yeah, uh, whenever we do it along with God, see ourselves as participating in parenthood with the Holy Spirit uh, yes. so that he can, he can do his purposes in, in our children and in us. That's so good. That's right. let's, get into, let's get into the chapters of Habits yeah. of the Household and some of the details, uh, the habits that you lay out. Uh, there, there's several. Let's start with this. What was, in, in those chapters, which one was the hardest and which one was the easiest for you to write and why? Oh, I like that question. I think the chapter on discipline was probably the hardest to write. And I think the chapter on screen time was the easiest. Okay. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with my first instinct. Discipline was the hardest, but potentially the most fun chapter to write because I think discipline is the hardest thing that parents do precisely because it's the most important thing that we do. Mm. Discipline is the opportunities that we have all the time to disciple our children towards the right loves. And I'm laying out this parenting paradigm in the discipline chapter and, and talking about how, you know, what our instinct is in the moments of discipline is to control, or at least mine is. And I'm pretty confident most people's are what, what, what happens when a kid, you know, calls you a butthead or smacks you in the face or, you know, throws the toy or the teenager storms out of the room. Uh, What you want to do is say, come back here or sit down, you know, you try to control the situation. And what I realized is that that's sort of the default parental instinct. Um, And it's all, you know, the opposite. It's so far from what our children need. What they need is loving discipleship, which requires a lot of different things and skill sets. And so that's where the habit thing came in for me where I was realizing all my instincts and moments of discipline are wrong. So I need to retrain my habits to do things like, and I write about it in the book, like pause and pray before disciplining, Mm -hmm. Um, use different body language, not the sort of like, I'm going to control this moment, but, you know, get on a knee to talk to my child or sit on the bed with an older child, things like this, Uh, build towards moments of reconciliation. Cause again, usually my instinct is to control and just end the fight. 
rather than now we have to have a talk with everybody and everybody needs to apologize and say, I forgive you and actually then find a smile again. And so all those things, and I'm writing about all those things in the morning on my laptop. And then I go home and live it again. And I realize how hard they are to do or how, Oh my gosh, I have this other bad instinct. So discipline was hard to write because I mean, and I write from a messy house. I write from a disorderly house. I write from a house where we fight a lot and I yell a lot and I still struggle. And I think that's one of the most, if, 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 if you all are out here hearing anything, hear this. I am a messed up person. I, I, I'm a, you know, you're, you're hearing about habits of the household from a guy who lives in a messy, disorderly household. I don't write about this stuff because I'm so good at it. I write about this stuff because I need it so badly. And the chapter on discipline was just a constant reminder for me that I need the Lord's help. So that's what the chapter ended up becoming about how habits in moments of discipline can help us lift up our eyes to look at what God is doing in us as much as Mm -hmm. what he's doing in our kid and help Mm -hmm. us to become agents of reconciliation uh, rather than agents of control. And so that was a hard but fun one to write. Yeah, Um, I can talk about screen time, but I don't know if you want to ask a question about that before I move right on. Um. Yeah, no, I don't know. I just, it, I think it, it's so good. Um, yeah, especially looking upward at what God's doing in the moment. Um, one of the things that I've shared with other parents that always seems to really resonate with people is, is that uh, whenever your your two year old or whoever is throwing a temper tantrum, or even if it's your your teenager that you're having conflict with, uh, so often if we 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 are tempted to respond likewise, and mm-hmm start acting like a teen, a two-year-old or start acting like a teenager. You know? Yes. Yes. And one thing that I came to realize once again with, with my daughter, whenever she was going through that toddler stage, that uh, two-year-old stage is one thing I realized is that, is that she's not going to change. I mean, over the term of 18 years, she's going to go through changes and all, but, but right now and in the short term, like this is who she is, mm-hmm. uh, but I can change. Mm. Like she, th- she's just being who she is right now, but I can change in my approach to her. I can become more patient. I can become yes. more loving to a two year old girl who throws temper tantrums and has lots of feelings and so on. And, uh, and whenever I made that, that conscious realization and, and decision in myself, it drastically changed yeah. those, the, those tough moments, uh, it greatly increased patience. And, and, and I think that that really seems to be kind of along the same lines of what you're talking about. Yes. Yes. That, I think yeah. one of the key paradigm shifts that I came to in, in working on that chapter was that um, I'm a lot more similar to my children than I think. And so understanding that, you know, when they won't share a toy or when they are just really disappointed because something didn't go their way and I'm trying to bring them out of that. Actually, the most important thing we do first is to realize, I oh, know that's, that's me. Um, that's exactly like me. And I rely on the gentle, but firm voice of Jesus to come meet me in those moments and gently pull me out of them to tell me the truth, but to tell it to me lovingly. And that's, that was like, Oh my gosh, that's my greatest challenge as a parent to find them in those moments and act like Jesus who sympathizes with us and yet will come in lovingly with strength to pull us out. And so that's been a, 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 that's been a really big paradigm shift for me. So that was a good chapter for me to write because it really changed me. Um, so the other answer was the screen time chapter was the easiest to write because in some sense my wife wrote it for me (laughs) and that and that is i um 
So I wrote a lot in the common rule about habits around screens for adults, really, for how we use our phones, for how we you know attend to our emails and social media, for how much media we're consuming. So I thought a lot about screen habits and frankly, am, you know, was applying them to our kids. But I remember as I was working on that chapter, I was just sort of sprawling and writing things everywhere. And I called my wife from a writing retreat and, and I was like, tell me about your, you know, nine to five, when I'm at work, tell me about your nine to five experience with screens with the kids. And she started talking and I'll never forget. I was sitting on the front porch of this like writing cabin a couple hours away. And I just started typing. I was like, keep talking. I just started typing. <laughs> and so readers will read in that habit. Like um, I, I tell the story of what, of what Lauren does with our kids and what she says. And the key idea that she, that she kept coming back to as we talked that night was that the, the fight for screen time is not a battle over you know, how much is too much or even, even as much as like what content is quote unquote appropriate or not. It was just a lot more about this. The, the battle over screens is a battle for, form, for formation. The question is, are, are we going to let like unfettered, unrestricted sc- screens form who our children are? Because they will. They will change them. Or are, are we going to form our screen habits so that we can be in charge of our children's formation? And that was just a fun one because I felt like Lauren had really done the work and we sort of wrote that together. And um, and, and I really believe in that that work. I think screens and figuring out how to engage with them as a family is one of the most important factors of our discipleship to Jesus. Um, Mm -hmm. I even say this bluntly to people, probably the most important factor of your discipleship in your home right now is how you interact with screens. That's that's probably true for most people. And so I don't want people to think of it as like a mindfulness or a stress or just sort of a life hack. I want you to think about how you use screens as a real, real component of your family's discipleship. Yeah. So let's get into some of the practicals because one of the things I love about your writing is that you, uh, you can, deal in the theory and in the uh and, and and in the practical and that you lay out some some great goals and theories but then you give some very applicable steps so yes. when it comes to screen times that's where we're at right now uh yeah. well, what are some of the practical steps what are some of the the practical habits that you lay forward and, and i know of course with the caveat this being people do not have to adopt exactly Sure. Like yours, but but it is helpful at least to start with a model, to start with someone else's habits and then try to build your own. So what are the practicals that you lay out for screen time? Yeah, you're 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 laying out the pattern of each chapter really well because what I try to do in every chapter, including the screen time chapter, is do you know the first half on the theory. And then the second half is on practice, practical habits that you can try. And there's even an appendix at the end of every chapter that summarizes that for readers so they can mm. Nice. Just go to the go to the habits and remind themselves. So the screen time one, the the theory is kind of uh, just what I just said. But to sum it up again, my theory is that we need to curate our screens for spiritual formation. And curation to me is a two part concept. If you have one gallery wall, you have limited space, and so you pick carefully what goes on that wall. So the habits in that chapter are how to limit screens. And then how to pick intentionally what goes in that limited time. Mm-hmm. And importantly, a lot of people hear the word limits and that you get scared and worried about how to do it. But for us in screen time, the, the practical habits of limiting screens are much more about rhythms of engagement. So some of our habits, which readers, you know, they might want to change or they might want to cherry pick some. But some of our habits are we do family movie nights on Friday nights. 
So sometimes the answer to, can we watch a movie tonight is, is it Friday? So that our kids have an expected idea of we, we do go to screens together on Friday night. We do watch a family movie. And it also happens on Tuesday afternoon before I get home from work. That's another special time for them where they get to watch a show or, you know, maybe play a video game. And so they know these times in the week when they can do screens. Uh, conversely, they know in the car, we don't. Um, we, we've taken this advice from uh, Andy Crouch and the TechWise family that cars are for conversation. And which I never thought was possible because we started our parenting by always throwing the phone to the back seat. You know, if they're flipping out in the car, it's like, okay, here's Elmo's song, you know, just literally uh-huh. toss a screen behind us. And I remember that when we tried to change that, I was like, this is never going to work. They're going to go crazy. But here's the thing about kids. They are malleable. You can, you can do one thing for a long time. Like we do ice cream every night and then you change and yeah, they're not going to like it, but they, they can change and parents, I want to give parents the confidence that you can change the habits of your household. It's not easy, but it is possible. And so, yeah. you know, we, we changed that cars are place for conversation now. Um, and so things like that, where we have rhythms of here's when we go to screens, here's when we don't, you know, we have the rule that when you're in our house, uh, neighborhood kids, you know, you can't be on a device um, unless an adult is supervising you or telling you to do, to do it. So it's just like, we have neighborhood kids come over, they have a phone in their pocket, they pull it out and, and our, we, you know, gently and kindly, but seriously, we say, Hey, if you want to go be on your phone, you've got to do that at home here. We're going to play together. And yeah. guess what? They've never chosen not to play. You know, they always choose to play. Um, they yeah. never choose to go home. So it's just a helpful thing to know that when, you know, when we're in our house, we're in it together. And so I could go on and on. Um, there are many other ones, but what I like about that is that, as you think about limits for screens, think about rhythms of engagement. Uh, it's much easier than thinking about saying no, 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 to saying here's when we say yes. And other then the default outside of that is to be reading a book or playing a board game or talking as a family or eating a meal. Yeah. And then the, the second part of that curation is just content. Like in those times, what do you choose? And uh, one of my favorite parts of working on this book was that Lauren, as I said, Lauren's really involved in the screen time chapter. She's uh, doing a side project next to this book called Lauren's List, where she lists out, she's just a great curator of content. So she reads and listens and watches a lot of stuff and she recommends the best ones. And so on the Habits of the Household website, you'll find Lauren's list of like top five movies to watch with your kids at this age or best okay, books cool. to read at this age, or here's some fun kids podcasts. Here's some fun kids movie. And I just think that the best way to think about screens as a parent is not all the things you need to run from, but what's the great, what are the great stories that they actually should watch? Because we were talking about education earlier. The best way to teach your kids about what, who a hero is, or what the right thing to do or how to make a, a, a hard decision or how to be brave is to show them a story. Yeah. You know, it's not to say like, Hey, you need to be brave in moments of crisis. No, it's, it's to show them a story where a hero actually does stand up. Those stories change us, you know, way more than Sunday schools or parent, parent lectures. So we think a lot about what are great stories we can, you know, serve to them. Like, I, yeah. I just think it's a glorious thing to give your children beautiful stories. So we talk a lot about that. Um, I don't pick them in the book. I don't want to spend, I didn't want to spend the pages, you know, saying here are all my top 10 lists. Lauren's mm-hmm. better at that. So readers and listeners can go to Lauren's list and see what were the kinds of things that yeah. we're choosing. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I'm excited to go look up that list. I did not see that. So, uh, so if anyone's interested in that, it will be linked in the show notes. So, yeah, anything we talk and, about, and Aaron, anything we talk about at the, the time of this podcast, you can't see them because they're actually still like. At the launch of the book, they're all going to become viewable. Oh, okay. So, okay. so yeah. So when this podcast is up right now, you guys can go look at them. But there's there's a reason we kept them secret from you. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So we'll we'll make sure that you guys get access to them whenever they're yeah. cool. Uh, let's talk about a little bit more in in practicals. One of the uh, daily rhythms that we uh, that we don't miss out on, or at least uh, we're definitely in a really bad place if we do miss it, would be meal times. Mm-hmm. Something that all parents go through. So what are some of the uh, habits that you have and that you suggest for parents around mealtimes? Well, the simplest way to talk about that is actually just to eat together, period. I think one of the things that people don't realize um, necessarily is that it's not necessarily a norm that families eat together. And yet there are all kinds of fascinating studies and research and just common sense of the outcomes for families who eat together versus the outcomes for families who sort of see food as an ongoing, you know, microwavable dinner in front of the TV. Um, So I talk a lot about how spiritually significant the simple fact of sitting down for dinner together is because what you see as a parent in those moments is what we talked about of it's hard to prep food. Kids are impatient. They fight. There's lots of spills. It's hard to organize teenager schedules around the dinner table. Uh, there's just, it's hard. It's hard, to, you know, okay. It's hard because it's most one of the most important things we can do. And what also happens at meals, if you look through the, let's call it the liturgical lens, seeing the significance of the ordinary, um, at the meal table, you learn to pray together. You learn to express gratitude for sacrifice of what somebody has prepared you, you learn to say please and thank you. You learn to, to pass and put others first. You learn to tell stories about your day. You learn to share about hard moments. You learn to talk. And, and one of the things I love about mealtimes as a family is it's the, it's like the, um, the, the place where we practice conversation the most. And if there's anything that turns families into friends or, or roommates you know, into friends, it's, it's the table. The question is, do you eat together? And so I try to do a lot of work of just showing how, how the simple practice of sitting down and having conversation at mealtimes is actually an incredible liturgy to friendship and uh, relationship in the family. So yeah. my biggest habit would just be, one, actually have a regular family meal every day, or at least, you know, a normal weekday. And two, have some go-to questions that you do, you know, everybody answers, what's the best and worst thing about your day? Or everybody answers, um, you, know, you know, what are you looking forward to about tomorrow? Or maybe yeah. everybody answers, how did you, how are you feeling about your you know, relationship with God today? That's kind of a deep one if you have older kids. But yeah. those common questions that a family gets used to asking and answering, even four-year-olds can do that. And that's what I think is really significant, training them in the art of conversation early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. It, it, it's a good reminder that people need to be trained in how to have conversation. Yeah. 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 Um, it's not a given that we know how to share about our life, about our emotions, that we know how to open up in a difficult day. But if you think about it as an adult, what is one of the most beautiful capacities that you have? It's either the capacity to let others in and talk about it, talk about hard things. Um, it's probably one of your greatest assets. Or if you don't have that, it's probably one of your greatest liabilities. You don't know how to talk about your life and let others in. 
Yeah. And that simple idea of sitting down with a five-year-old and beginning, hey, what was good about today? What was bad about today? That is so spiritually significant over a lifetime. You become a person who knows how to engage and, and to engage with those around you, like your, the people closest to you, your family, which are often the hardest people to love. How, how, that's so spiritually significant. That, that's exactly the kind of tools we need in marriage, in friendships, in work relationships. And there, there it is every night at the table. You're just practicing that a little more. Yeah, that's excellent. So let's say we've got some uh, parents who are listening to this and they are just, they're inspired. They're thrilled. They, they're ready to get the book. They're ready to read it and start implementing all this stuff in their life. How do you recommend parents or, you know, me and my wife, we're going to start uh, implementing new habits, changing some rhythms and, and so on. How do you recommend that people go about starting to apply the, the, the habits and recommendations that you have in your book? Do you do it all at once? Uh, do you take one at a time? Yeah. If you take it one at a time, how do you choose? Like, wh- what's your recommendation for like step one after reading the book? Um, you told me earlier that you read the common rule with a group of guys, which is my favorite thing ever to hear because the books that I write, uh, are meant to be read and practiced in community and they're meant to be practiced as much as they are read. So my, my favorite thing would be is if, you know, you and your spouse actually read this together and you could read a chapter at a time and then talk about it. And I think what you'll find that happens is, you know, maybe somebody's interested in the mealtime stuff. Someone else is interested in the work and play rhythms stuff, but you're both really interested in screen time. And I would definitely say for these habits, the best thing to do is find where you and your spouse are, are both sort of aligned of, okay, what, what's one thing we could bring here to screen time? And you work on that. Um, the beauty of habits is that after you practice them, and it usually takes sociological, you know, or psych, psychological research shows that it takes about you know two to six weeks, normally an average of four, to let a habit sink in. So after you practice something for a couple of weeks, the beauty of a habit is that it sinks under the hood of the car. You don't notice it anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's where you can start doing the thing that people call habit stacking, where, okay, now you've worked on screen time. Now let's talk about meals. Like what else can we do there? And so you don't have this thing where you're keeping all these balls in the air and juggling all this stuff. No, they're, you actually have forgotten about them because they're normal. So you can always add one more little thing. That's, yeah. the, that's the wonderful thing about habits. They're not like weights on your back. They become internal to you and you become stronger, not more mm-hmm. burdened by them. So long way of saying, I think that you read a chapter together, debate it, talk, fight about it, you know, spill some coffee, wine, juice, whatever on it, get the book dirty, practice it and see what works and go, you know, go maybe read it all, but go one at a time on what you actually want to change. I think what's yeah. probably not a great idea is to say, okay, starting tomorrow, we're going to have, this is the schedule of every minute of the day, the new habits we're going to try. Um, your spouse will probably not like you if you do that. Yeah. That's just too, too much at once. Yeah, no, it's good for me to hear. And, and, that's, and I'll that's end the kind of saying, person I tend to be. Yeah, I, and I, I didn't write this book doing it all in one time. You know, these are like things that aggregated slowly over time. And, and we do do them now, but they're practiced for us. And so I wouldn't recommend that you do in three weeks what I did in three years. That would be unwise. Yeah. Take a couple years. You have a long time with your kids. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Like I said, that that's the kind of person I tend to be. So it's a good reminder. You know, I'm, I'm some, I, I guess I just, I have a, or I don't know, 
to put a positive spin on it, I have a very passionate personality. So I tend to be an yes. all, or no- all or nothing kind of person. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm one of the, I'm the, I'm the guy who would try to read the book and then say tomorrow <laughs> we're doing all of it. <laughs> but, you know, and as, if your spouse is okay with that and you're going to take the lead on it, Hey, more power to you. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't yeah. want, I just don't want your wife to be mad at me here. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. We, we don't want that to happen. No, um, that's good. We talked a lot about, uh, about family, about, uh, about the household children, but there's also households that don't have children. It's just a, a husband and wife. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you do you think that your book is helpful for the families that are just a couple, whether it's uh, a young couple, pre-kids or empty nesters? Do you think that this book is helpful, has habits for them in their household as well? Or is this uh, just for parents with children in the house? That's a good question. I think I'd have to admit that obviously the, the best audience for this is going to be somebody with kids and is living the day-to-day churn that I'm writing about. Um, mm-hmm. That said, I imagine that this book would be as useful for active grandparents um, because, and you'll know this if you're a grandparent or if you're a parent like us, uh, you don't stop being a parent just because your kids move out. You actually, you know, ideally, you know, families are still in a relationship and grandparents and I know this from my mom and dad still and, and my in-laws, they have, it's so beautiful to continue to parent with them in the loop, right? Yeah. Like when we go to their house and I go to my parents' house every Sunday for family lunch, I mean, they are actively part of my parenting and I see my in-laws often and they are actively part of our family's life. And I think grandparents who read this will think um, as much about, oh, how can we be involved in our kid's life? And what are the rhythms they encounter when they come to grandma and grandpa's house? as much as it's just helpful to be on the same page. So I actually find that that I would hope a lot of grandparents read this and then gently and kindly say, Hey, son and daughter, you know, you guys should read this too, you know, so that we can think about this together. Um, You know, somebody, if if you're thinking about having kids, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a book for you. One of my favorite chapters to write actually uh, was the chapter on marriage where we just pause in the middle of the book and talk about, one of the most important things you can give your children is the testimony of a loving marriage within the family. And so if you're at the point where you're married and about to have kids or thinking about it or have really little babies, but you want to start thinking about these rhythms. Sure. Um, I would say annotate it and then put it away, come back to it in a few years and see if you're actually, you know, still up for it. Uh, yeah. But the best, the best audience is going to be somebody like me who is struggling with kids and the house and feeling overwhelmed and busy and, and on the fritz, if you're feeling like that, I hope this book is, is an antidote to that chaos. Yeah, absolutely. And so to those people who are, who, who check off all the boxes on that list, what's the, what's the number one thing that you want them to take away from reading the book or just from listening to what we talked about today? The number one thing I want people to take away is that parenthood is sanctifying And that's a beautiful thing. Parenthood is not a place where you are walled off from intimacy with Jesus and the change that he offers, but it is actually the place that you can be opened up to it. It it is Hmm. probably the most spiritual thing that you are doing right now. It's probably the most sanctifying thing that you're doing right now. It's probably the hardest thing that you're doing right now because of those two things. And that is the beauty of it. God wants not just to change, use you to change your kids. He wants to use your kids to change you. 
and the beauty of the habits of the household and practicing the story of God and these everyday family rhythms is that we all become more like him and we all become better lovers of God and neighbor together. So that's, that's it. I hope parents see that this is parenting is the opportunity to encounter his love and be spiritually formed. Yeah. Wow. What that, that's great. What a great way to end. And on a high note there, that's, that's, that was excellent. Uh, before we go, do you want to let listeners, viewers know how they can get connected with you or, uh, or, or keep, or, or, uh, keep up with the work that you're doing? Yes. Uh, you can go to my website, justinwhitmoreearly.com. It's in the show notes. Um, these, there's also like a web page for each of these books. I, I like to let readers explore these habits online. Um, maybe that's my way of not being pushy about sales, but I don't know if my publishers hate it. But if you go to the websites, thecommonrule.org or habitsofthehousehold.com, you can read about these habits and then maybe decide is the book for me. And mm-hmm. I guarantee you, if you like what you see, then you know get the books because it's a lot more depth. But there's there's actually a lot of ways. You know, these there's a site for each book and my own website, so they can. Yeah. Go on and follow me there. And uh, despite my tirades and many and varied critiques on social media, I am on Instagram and Twitter. So you can follow along with some of my thoughts there. Just don't expect them to come every day all the time. But uh, readers are free. You know, I welcome people getting in touch with me. Um, I try to respond to every email in time. Again, I'm a lawyer day to day, so it's not going to be day up, but I'll get back to you. So readers are yeah. always free to get in touch. And I hope I hear from some of you. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Great. Well, I, I highly recommend everyone to, uh, to check out the, all the content that you have on your website. It actually is great. I do appreciate how much, uh, how much you pull back the curtain to let people get a preview of the books, uh, to see if it, to, before they purchase it. So you guys definitely go check that out. Uh, look at the website, get the books, read it, read it in a group or with your spouse. Yes. And, uh, Groups. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you'll see God bring some fruit from it. So before we go, Justin, I just want to thank you so much again for joining us on the show today. I was really looking forward to this and really enjoyed the conversation. So thank you for your time. I have too, Aaron. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks for listening. I hope this episode provided you with biblical clarity to live with confidence in our confusing world. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. To catch up the latest from me, you can go to my website, AaronChamp.com. While you're there, subscribe to my newsletter so that you can be updated anytime I share new content. You can also follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Aaron M. Champ. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Until then, hold fast to the end.